Welcome to Passionate World Talk Radio. Educate, enlighten, entertain. Ladies and gentlemen. What are you doing? What do you mean? I'm making Just keep it simple. I'm making the promo. Just keep it simple. Just say, hey, we're the Bravo Bros. Two guys that talk about Bravo. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're the Brav Bros. No. Oh. Dude, stop with the voice. Just the vo- keep it simple. I've seen promos on TV, dude. This is how you get the fans engaged. This is how you get listeners. We're trying to get listeners here. If we just say, oh, we're two dudes that talk about Bravo, people are going to get tired of it already. We need some oomph. All right, then fine. Let's try to do it with your voice. Brav Bros. Good job. Do you want to become a talk show host? Do you have a great idea? Passionate World Talk Radio is currently looking for podcast hosts for our internet talk radio station. Please email us at twrnetworkllc at gmail.com with your name, email address, cell phone number, and podcast topic. In return, you will receive a three-minute intro on air to a live audience about your podcast. Remember, just email us your name, email address, and your podcast topic, and in return, you will receive a free three-minute intro on the air. How cool is that? Hi, everybody. This is Betsy Wurzel. You're a host of Chatting with Betsy at Passionate World Talk Radio Network, where our mantra is to educate, enlighten, and entertain. The views of the guests may not represent those of the host or the station. Folks, are you interested in sharks, stingrays? Do you wonder if humans are on the menu for sharks? Well, you're going to want to listen to my guest. I can't wait to hear him talk. I just want to tell everyone, I'm going to give you the name of the Facebook page, or my guests will. You have to listen to this podcast. My guest, Dr. Christopher Lowe, is a professor of marine biology and director of the Shark Lab at California State. I can't read my handwriting. Oh, University of Long Beach. can't read my handwriting, folks. This is why I don't do notes. And the Facebook page, the initials are C-S-U-L-B. It will be in the blog, so please read the blog because it will have information. And I can't wait to hear Dr. Christopher Lowe, who has studied sharks for 30 years, if not more. Thank you for coming on, Dr. Lowe. Yeah, Betsy, thanks for having me. You're welcome. People always want to know, are humans on the menu for sharks? (laughs) Uh, The answer is, Absolutely not. Um, They have so many other better things to eat. That's correct. My dad, who was in the Navy in World War II, he said he used to swim with the sharks. And he would say, you know, because I was petrified to go in the ocean when I was younger. And he'd go, well, they'll just take a nibble and they'll see if they like you or not. Um, Can you tell us, Dr. Lowe, why do sharks, attack humans in the uh, ocean. So, you know, believe it or not, despite everything you might hear, we don't really know the answer to that. So people have been studying sharks and shark-human interactions 
for close to 100 years. And we still don't really understand why sharks will occasionally, unprovoked, bite a person. So at best, we have two possible motivations. One motivation as to why they might bite a person is for predation reasons. In other words, for food. But the bottom line is most people that are bitten aren't consumed. No flesh is removed. They're simply bitten. And then the other thing is, you know, bottom line, people survive shark bites. So if a person's hundreds of yards offshore and they're bitten and they're bleeding profusely, if that shark was really hungry, there's no way that person would make it back to the beach. But we just don't see that. The other possible motivation is that sharks occasionally bite people for defensive reasons. And this is one that I don't think many people consider. So imagine all animals have their personal space, and nobody likes having their personal space invaded. What if somebody was trying to get in your personal space, and you were saying, you've got to back off, you're too close, and the person ignored you? So what if some of the bites that occur are people who don't even know they're that close to a shark? And the shark says, uh, I sent you warnings, you ignored them. Shark rushes up, bites the person, the person leaves, and therefore that bite had nothing to do with predation. It could have been solely around defense. So the bottom line is we don't know what's going through that shark's head moments before a person has been in, in most cases. Yes, and I know that some sharks are more aggressive than others, like the bull shark, tiger shark. And I live in New Jersey, and there's been great whites that have been uh, noticed this summer off the shore of New York, which is, well, I don't go in the ocean anymore, but that's kind of a little scary to me. Do you see the difference, or is there a difference, between shark behaviors on the West Coast versus the East Coast? Well, first of all, we have some of the same species, but we also have different species. And white sharks may be the, maybe the best example of a species that occurs on both coasts. And what's really interesting is that the white shark population appears to be increasing and has increased probably over the last 20 years due to protection. So protection and recovery of the adult food source, which has been marine mammals. So what's really interesting is that you know, um, white shark populations have probably been impacted for over 100 years in both the Atlantic and the Pacific, largely due to overfishing of sharks in general, but also overhunting of marine mammals, which occurred up into the, the mid-1990s. And then since then, protection has allowed many of those marine mammal populations to recover. And of course, they're a favorite food of the adults, of adult white sharks. And in addition, many young white sharks, the smallest ones, were caught in commercial fisheries and were sold and marketed in fish markets and uh, restaurants, and people were eating white shark and they probably didn't know it. So better fisheries management on both coasts have allowed the population to come back. And to me, that's a great sign. Now, not everybody cheers, right? When I say, hey, white sharks are coming back. Some people are, are afraid because they view white sharks as being aggressive. And, and you mentioned bull sharks and tiger sharks also being potentially more aggressive species. But 
it's really how they feed and what they eat. So because they're larger and they're truly a carnivorous species, you know, they can eat larger prey. And in order to catch those larger prey, they have to be more aggressive. So unfortunately, somehow, people might get mistaken as prey or simply a shark makes a mistake or is defending itself and a person gets bitten. So bull sharks, tiger sharks, and white sharks are the three most common species that we know that are implicated and bite on people. That's very good information. Now I have to ask you this question, Chris, Dr. Lowe. When a um, surfer is on the surfboard and they're wearing their black water uh, suit, I call it, um, and the shark, you know, looks up and they get mistaken for being a seal, which is what the sharks eat. Is that true or is that a myth? Well, so that's simply a hypothesis that we scientists have to explain why, you know, surfers may be bitten. And the idea there is they cast a silhouette that's very similar to that of the prey that these sharks are trying to sneak up on. So the problem that I have with this hypothesis is that we as shark scientists have learned that sharks have these amazing senses. White sharks, for example, have very good vision and they have very large, well-developed eye. Um, they also have great noses. They have great senses of smell. They have really good hearing so they can hear sounds in the water. And it may take uh, an adult white shark years to learn how to successfully take down a marine mammal or a tiger shark to learn to take down a turtle. So we say out of one side of our mouths that these animals have these amazing senses and that they're very well tuned for the environment that they live in and for being successful predators on these highly adapted prey. But on the other hand, we say that, oh, they, they can't tell the difference between a human silhouette on a board and that of a marine mammal. So I kind of struggle with that. I do think that sharks make mistakes, and those mistakes could be a mistaken identity. But when we look at the number of people out in the ocean on both coasts that are out recreating, surfing, swimming, stand-up paddleboarding, kayaking, the number of times that sharks may make these mistakes are, is significantly lower than the rate at which humans make mistakes. That's a good point. I don't think shark attacks are common, you know, um, myself. I mean, it, it does happen. And I also had to ask you this question because in watching Shark Week, they had said this. If you go into the ocean with, like, shiny jewelry, does that attract a shark, thinking that it's so, some, like a, maybe a fish? Mm -hmm. So the idea there is that um, jewelry uh, will flash light or reflect light, and that some of the schooling fish that you might find along the coast have very silvery-like scales that also reflect light. And that very well could be a cue to a predator. And it doesn't have to be a shark. It could be something like a barracuda. Um, you know, another lion weight predator, fish predator, that uses, you know, some sort of stealth to sneak up on its prey. And when it sees those cues, it may rush in thinking it might be able to catch a fish unaware. 
So um, off the coast of Florida, where, which is, by the way, the, the state that has the greatest number of shark bites on people, um, many of the bites are on the hand and foot, which a lot of times scientists associate with, you know, there being a flash of white from the palm or a flash of white from the sole of the foot that in murky water may represent a potential prey item that a shark could take a crack at. And that it might be one of the reasons why we see greater bites uh, by smaller reef-associated sharks on humans, particularly off places like Florida. So jewelry might just kind of accentuate that. But there's no real good evidence that, you know, sharks are associated with jewelry. Any fisherman can tell you that if you use flashers, these are lures that we throw out that are metal and they flash light, that, you know, it's a great way to catch bluefish, for example. So, um, you know, many predatory fish are attracted to those kinds of things and sometimes will take a lure that flashes, much like jewelry. Very interesting. I'm so glad to have you want to clarify what is true and what could be considered a myth or misinformation. And in my own personal opinion, Dr. Lowe, I think you should have your own show. <laughs> National Geographic <laughs> or Discovery because um, I love what you do. I mean, you, you tag the sharks. Um, you have education all up and down in California. I think your shark shacks are just phenomenal, uh, bringing education uh, and awareness on how to avoid a, a shark attack. Could you please tell the audience how they can avoid a shark attack if they are of surfing or swimming? Sure. So one of the things that we've been learning about shark behavior, and, and we use our tagging as a way of figuring that out, is when are sharks in a place where they may be close to people? And how often does that occur? And can we predict the times of day or the season when that probability goes up? After that, remember, we don't really know why sharks occasionally bite people. What we can do is start to understand aspects of their behavior. And then the other part that we have to focus on is how do humans change their behavior in ways that could lower their probability of being bitten by a shark? So that first starts with lowering potentially your encounter rate with certain species. So by knowing what species occur in the waters off the places where you like to go in the ocean, that is an important piece of information that you might use to say, well, you know, this is a really sharky time of year. I'm, I'm going to be careful about how I go in the water. The other thing that we've learned is that your chances of being bitten by a large shark, like a tiger shark or a white shark, go down if you're in a group. Statistically, we don't see people being bitten in groups by white sharks and tiger sharks or even bull sharks um, when people are in mass. So what we always recommend is if you're really worried about that, stay together, surf in a group, swim together, right? It's more fun that way. And chances are, statistically, it's safer that way. The other thing is, if something should happen, you've always got somebody there who can help you. So we always tell people, look, the safest thing to do is stay together when you're in the ocean. Now, a lot of people go, you know, I love to go surfing in the evening by myself. It's a way for me to get out and relax. And I always say, look, that your chances of being bitten are already very low. 
but you are kind of putting yourself a bit more at risk by being out by yourself. So despite the fact that that's a great time to be out by yourself and enjoy the ambiance of the ocean, it really is raising your risk a little bit. The other thing we always advise people is be careful of ocean conditions. So for example, when the water's murky, that may increase the probability that a shark makes a mistake. And we don't want to be on the receiving end of that mistake. So try to avoid conditions that may be really murky. And then the other part, and this is a really important one, because as our marine mammal populations have come back, we're now starting to see more sick marine mammals or even dead marine mammals that may be floating off our beaches. And you definitely don't want to be in the water near a dead whale or a dead seal, because that basically could be a free meal to a shark. And you don't want that shark confusing you with a potential competitor. So, you know, if you, if you hear about sick or dead marine mammals in an area, you should kind of avoid those areas. And the same is true for seal haul-outs, right? So the sharks may be there to try to feed on those seals. So swimming near an area where there may be lots of seals hauled out could put you at greater risk of becoming a mistake. Very good. I, I have uh, heard that, you know, some people want to hang out by the jetties or where sharks are or, you know, go surfing or swimming uh, before sunup or when it's sunset, and that does increase the risk. Um, also, you know, where people are fishing. Uh, these are good pointers to know. I had to ask you, Dr. Lowe, with this um, climate warming and they're finding sharks getting closer to shallow waters, do you believe it's from climate change or the the sharks just looking for food that happens to, you know, swim in the shallow waters? Yeah, so uh, my colleagues and I are very interested in how climate change is going to affect sharks. And one of the things that we're learning is that climate change is causing our oceans to warm. And, and as they warm, sharks that like particular conditions are going to get moved to places where they find the nicest conditions for them. And that means as our oceans continue to warm, some species of sharks might start to occur in places where they, people haven't seen them before. So what that means is people need to actually be more cognizant and aware of that when they go in the ocean. Oh, you know, I've... You know, I grew up here and we never saw sharks here. Um, now that the ocean is changing in that way, people should always be aware that there could be sharks there now. Um, the other thing is, as sharks move to these new places, because the conditions are good, they have to find things to eat. And one of the challenges they may experience is that there is nothing good for them to eat at these new locations. And that could potentially increase the chance of a shark making a mistake. So what we're telling people is, look, the ocean is constantly changing, but now it's changing in a way that is driving animals to places we've never seen them before. So we always have to be aware of the fact that when we go to the beach we've been going to forever, and there's never been sharks there before, there could be now. Yes, there, and there has been, like I said, sharks noted off the coast of uh, New York, which, you know, I never heard of in growing up. Um, I live about 
45 minutes to the closest beach, uh, Sandy Hook in New Jersey, and that's where we used to go swimming. And I was always petrified <laughs> of um, sharks. And, of course, you know, when the movie Jaws came out, um, everybody was afraid. So is a shark to be feared, Chris, like the low, or should we just – you know, try to stay out of their way. Well, so that's been the, let's call it the perception uh, that's been kind of conveyed about sharks, right? So, um, you know, a lot started with the book and movie Jaws, and, and it kind of painted sharks in this image of them being this kind of mindless killer and that they were always dangerous. And if you were in the water with a shark, it was going to attack you. And what we've been learning is that is very, very far from the case. But it's difficult to get people to view the animals differently. So I'll give you an example. 150 years ago, if you were to walk down the streets of New Bedford in Massachusetts and you were to ask people about what they thought about whales, people would tell you whales are horrible animals. They kill people. They're demonic. And, and think of Moby Dick, right, the imagery that right. portrayed about Moby Dick, made this animal to be this horrible animal. Well, whales were tremendously overhunted to the point where people would never get to see a whale, but they were being told these horrible stories about, by whalers that would come back from their trips. And in some cases, people were being killed by whales because they were actually trying to kill whales themselves. So people had this fear, largely based on this misconception about whales. And then what happened was... As whalers developed bigger ships, whalers were no longer being killed by whales. They were going out in factory ships and they're harpooning them. And then their numbers were going down. And then whales got a, what I would call the best PR makeover. So in the early 70s, when we were putting in protection for marine mammals because they were so overhunted, people were learning that whales were mammals, that they produced babies, they nursed them, they had eyelashes, they were so cute. Um, they're very social, and they can communicate with each other. That actually was very important in changing people's perception about whales. We went from fearing them to actually loving them and wanting to protect them because we viewed them differently. Sharks have been a little bit more difficult to do that with, um, mainly because you know, we still have programming out there like Shark Week that still tries to scare people about sharks. And that makes it harder to change people's perceptions. But nonetheless, it is slowly starting to happen. So I think people are fearing sharks less, and there's good data to show that. So, for example, we have hundreds of hours of footage, video footage from our drones of surfers and swimmers swimming all around white sharks, and they don't know they're there. And the sharks are ignoring the people. So these are juvenile white sharks, and they're hanging out at these beaches because that's their nursery but they're completely ignoring people. So again, this is some scientific data to show that, you know, this perception that we have of sharks as being these mindless, dangerous animals isn't necessarily true. And what should people do if they are attacked by a shark? Well, uh, you know, the bottom line is um, what we have learned is that Again, most sharks, most people that are bitten by sharks, they're bitten, and then the shark releases. 
Of course, that animal may have made a mistake, and the way you convince the animal that it's made a mistake is you fight back. So the places where you want to hit a shark is if it's biting you, you want to hit it in the eyes or stick your hands in its gills. Those are sensitive areas, and they will get the shark to release. And quite often, fighting back helps that reinforce that idea that the shark is bitten into something that it might have thought was something else, and it doesn't want to mess with it. It doesn't want to get hurt. So quite often, the sharks will leave. So obviously, unlike a bear, you don't want to play dead. You want to fight back. You want to hit that animal in the eye. You want to stick your hands in its gills. You want to let it know that it's made a mistake. Good. Good information. Thank you. And I had to ask this question. I have heard stories of dolphins warning people or circling around people to protect them from sharks. Have you heard of that? Is that true or is that also a myth? That is definitely a myth from what we've seen from our data. Um, you know, we also hear that if you see dolphins around, there are no sharks around. And we have hours and hours of video footage of sharks and dolphins swimming right next to each other. Um, and they don't appear to be, you know, scaring the sharks away. Sea lions, however, we do see sea lions scaring away baby white sharks. Um, but once they get a little bit bigger, you know, they all know each other's there. Um, but by and large, you know, it's like walking down the sidewalk in New York City. You know, people walk right by you. They don't even seem to pay attention sometimes. And that's what we see out in the water. So we have no evidence of dolphins actually trying to protect people from sharks. We've certainly not seen that in our footage. And sharks and dolphins swim by each other all the time, and they just don't seem to care. That's, thank you, Dr. Lowe. I appreciate you coming on, shining with Betsy, and clearing up uh, the myths and telling the real facts. And I really want to encourage everyone to go on the Facebook page. Go ahead, give it, Dr. Lowe, your Facebook page. Sure. And wherever else it can be reached. Sure, it's the CSULB Shark Lab. And if you type that in, it'll pop up. We have a really good website. And again, you can just type in CSULB Shark Lab. And there's lots of information about sharks and stingrays and, and beach safety and much of the research that we've done on different species and how we use new technology to study some of these species. I was amazed. I checked out both myself and before I had you on as a guest, and I was so impressed with what you and your team were doing, uh, tagging the juvenile sharks and the footage that you show, you do show the juvenile white sharks um, swimming around and there's people on their paddle boards and they're not being bothered. And you are clarifying the myths from, from the truth on your website and on your Facebook page. And I just found your page so informative informative in your website that I really want to encourage everyone all, you know, all over, because this is heard all over, to go on this uh, Facebook page and learn about sharks and stingrays. I was watching the one video where the um, young woman was talking about the stingray shuffle so you don't get stung or, you know, uh, attacked by the stingrays. And 
your shark shacks are just, I think it's, it's just really very informative. I think that's a, a great idea. Now, do you just have those shark shacks on the West Coast? We do, um, but we collaborate with our colleagues in Massachusetts, and they've started something very similar uh, on Cape Cod. So um, we're always excited to share ideas on how we can educate and, and reach the public. And, at, you know, as a scientist, one of the things that I learned early on was that if I was going to go out and collect scientific data and that information was going to be used, say, by, you know, the state or resource managers that would be responsible for managing a fishery or protecting a population, that sometimes even the best data might not actually get used. And, and then I found that when I made my science available to the public, which required me to be able to explain it in ways that people can understand it, that the public was very receptive to that information. And, and I began to realize the importance of, of taking that science that we're getting, even today, and trying to relate it to the public so they could use that information. Now, science is a process. It's something that we go through this process. And sometimes the things that we're learning may not be true because we're not using maybe the most appropriate method, but we're using the best method that's available to us now. And a year from now, we might find something to be different. But what's important is that we're using this process, this method to try to get at the truth. And we want the public to use whatever information we can get to help them better understand sharks and to be safer when they go to the beach. Yes, thank you. And I love your... Uh, books uh, for children, the pamphlets. And I think it's great, you know, teach children all the way on up to adults. Um, start them when they're young about, you know, respecting sharks and knowing what to do. Uh, I think the work that you and your team do is just fabulous. And I can't thank you enough for coming on Chatting with Betsy and sharing your information. Thank you, Dr. Lowe, very much. And um, as my dad would say, keep up your good work. Thank thank you. you so much for having me. You're welcome. My pleasure. Folks, you can hear this podcast again if you missed it on your favorite podcast outlet. We are on, well, I'm on uh, Speaker, Spotify, CastBox, wherever you hear your favorite podcast. Share this podcast. It's very informative. Uh, to learn about sharks and the environment and what to do if you do see a shark in the water. What are you going to do to protect yourself? And just common sense things to avoid. And I can't thank Dr. Lowe enough and his team for doing what they're doing. And I love the idea of shark attacks. And this is World Alzheimer's Month. Wouldn't it be great if there was Alzheimer's awareness shacks? Um, during World Alzheimer's out on the beach, at shopping centers. That's something to think about. And I just want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank Jeannie White for producing the show and writing the blog. Please read the blog because there will be information about Dr. Lowe and how you can get on the website and the Facebook page. And I want to thank Lillian Caldwell, CEO of Pastoral World Talk Radio Network, for giving people an opportunity to be heard. And Lillian Caldwell, the CEO, loves sharks. 
So I hope he listens to the show. I want to thank everyone again. And in a world where you can be anything, folks, please be kind and respect the environment. And, you know, when you go into the ocean, you're really in the shark's world. Uh, that's their place. And you're just a visitor in there. So respect their environment. And I just want to thank everybody again for listening. And actually, I want to say that this month marks the second anniversary of Chatting with Betsy. And I want to thank Jeannie White for discovering me in my car. Thank you, Jeannie. And thank you to Lillian for being great role models and mentors. Okay, folks, this is Betsy Wurzel, your host of Chatting with Betsy. Until we chat again, remember to be kind. Bye, everybody. Do you want to become a talk show host? Do you have a great idea? Passionate World Talk Radio is currently looking for podcast hosts for our Internet Talk Radio station. Please email us at twrnetworkllc at gmail.com with your name, email address, cell phone number, and podcast topic. In return, you will receive a three-minute intro on air to a live audience about your podcast. Remember, just email us your name, email address, and your podcast topic, and in return, you will receive a free three-minute intro on the air. How cool is that? Thank you for listening to Passionate World Talk Radio. You can listen to this program all over again by going over to https colon forward slash forward slash Passionate World Talk Radio. You can also hear it on Spotify, Spreaker, Amazon A-L-E-X-A, AMFM247.com, every Tuesday evening between 8 and 9 p.m. YouTube, Facebook, Facebook Live, LinkedIn, and all the other podcast directories one can find on the internet.